Hello and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Propagate Content's Ben Silverman about the growth of Spanish-language TV and why he believes global streamers should be regulated to level the playing field with independent producers. And from Pierluigi Gazzolo of VIX about his strategy for the Televisa Univision-owned streamer as it approaches its first anniversary. It's been almost a year since US-based Propagate content launched its Spanish-language content division Propagate Fuego, with a view to capitalising on the fast-growing opportunities in the Latin American and US-Hispanic marketplace. Action horror comedy series Pinches Momias has already been commissioned by Televisa Univision streamer Vix Plus, with which Propagate Fuego has a first-look deal, and the company is working on five other projects with various partners. Propagate co-chief executive Ben Silverman was among the keynote speakers at C21's inaugural Content Americas event in Miami last month and spoke there to David Jenkinson about these developments as well as his belief that monopolistic streamers should be regulated to change their business models in order to level the playing field with independent producers. It's great having Ben here, um, that been doing loads and loads of work in the LATAM market most recently, and of course, a fantastic career working across all different areas of the content business. Um, ben, perhaps you can just bring us up to date with what's been happening in the last year, and there's some context for being here talking about the LATAM market in Miami. Absolutely, and a pleasure to see so many friends and familiar faces here in this incredible town, which is going strength to strength. Um, we have been actively engaged and hyper-focused on expanding our Propagate Fuego division and platform. I've got two of my colleagues and partners, Catalina and Rodney here, who are uh, architects inside that organization. And we're in production on five Spanish language series right now across, um, across the various streamers and uh, broadcasters and are incredibly energized by what we're seeing happen across the Latin market, both as it's reaching a broader appeal beyond just its own language, and we're seeing how much of the content is starting to work in multiple markets, um, not only in the markets of origin, and if before my focus was heavily on how to take the brilliant creativity and partner with the amazing uh, talent from the region in readapting their content into English, like Jane the Virgin or Ugly Betty, now much of our time and energy is working with that incredible talent and around IP and, and working within the language in the same way that we've watched the explosion of Latin artists and Spanish language uh, musicians dominate the pop charts. I, I believe we're going into a, a golden age of um, you know Hispanic storytelling, not just Latin storytelling. And I'm very excited about what we're working on. And I'm very excited about what is being unlocked for all these brilliant creative people who have been really limited by both budget and by size of audience they could reach within their own marketplace. And I think that's a big reason why we're here and why this event uh, two months in for you, David, is already um, so successful. 
Great. Thank you ever so much. When, when you do start talking about pushing into the LATAM market and developing more Spanish language programs, it's got to be taken seriously. Why now? I mean, well, what, what is it in that market that is, I know you've been there with other, you know, but what, what, what made you really go into that market so strongly over the last 12 months? Well, you know, have always been personally invested in um, telling different kinds of stories from different places and different environments and where those stories had aspiration and um, positivity kind of integrated into their DNA. And I always connected to a lot of the Latin storytelling as a fan. I always connected to the music as a fan and the son of a composer who lived in Washington Heights and was surrounded with the sounds of the Dominican Republic. And I worked really hard to get those stories on air. And then as a, a business person, it was so clear to me that there were a billion people addressable who were not being communicated to or spoken to from the content side of the ledger. And so worked really hard on it in the environment that was open to us at the time as an American living in LA, which was the broadcast networks. And that system was where 95% of the content was emanating from within this market, within the United States, and how could we, you know, elevate it and how could we include more diverse voices and diverse stories and diverse faces. And so the first thing I did was Ugly Betty. You know, I, I, I went after what was, you know, arguably uh, the most important, you know, format in the history of the Hispanic world and worked really hard to get that adaptation made and added every bell and whistle I could to that process. Okay, Selma Hayek, you're gonna produce it with me. Okay, this writer, you're gonna write it for us. All right, we're gonna do it in this way at this scale. And then we were gonna find our Betty, in, in that case, America Ferrara. I thought, wow, I've done this, it's a hit. This is so easy, I'm gonna now be able to do it every year. And it took me over 10 years to get anyone to buy in to Jane the Virgin. It was like the experience had happened and everyone's memory was over and no one cared anymore about addressing that audience in an organic, true way, in a multi-generational way, in a way that dealt with all of the issues, challenges, joys, loves, and cultural elements that make the Latin community its own. And was able to get Jane done and was so happy and was able to integrate some more Spanish language this time was able to up the ante on who we were casting from the Latin world and was able to kind of keep it even more inside its, its Latin essence and was incredibly happy about it and concurrently worked on a couple of movies, including with my friend Jay who's in here, um, Hands of Stone, Manasso Piedro, about, you know, Roberta Duran. And, and in order to get that done, we had to add Robert De Niro. That was the only way that movie got financed at scale. And so all that was happening and pushing and and frustrating and and albeit successful moments and then the streamers arrived and started to um, invest in other markets not just the U.S. market and then let's export the finished episodes but invest in doing local language content and looking at markets that could drive subscriptions for them and lo and behold the stuff would work in other markets. Who would have thought Casa de Papel would work in the United States? Or who would have thought these shows would start to travel within their own local language 
not just around format. We believed heavily that that would happen just as it was emerging and would walk around with our little decks and iPads to present and try and convince people uh, you know, that this was more than a fad and was going to be a sustaining, growing opportunity. And then, um, and then that started to happen. And so we were in a great position, having nurtured, curated, focused on, and worked with some of the greatest storytellers in the Latin world. And they were ready for their primetime moment in their own language and ready to start thinking about unlocking genre. Because, and I, I'll let you ask questions, I'll show it. But, but, um, <laughs> but Ugly Betty and Jane the Virgin were telenovelas, and they were of the milieu of the Latin world and they were of the budget of the Latin world and we were able to kind of adapt them and blow them up into the world of the, of the Hollywood produced spectacle. And now there's this moment of like, okay, if you could unlock your thinking as a, as a talent um, beyond the telenovela, beyond uh, the emergence of the teleseries, which was kind of the next wave in the Latin world, what would you do? What genres would you approach? What, you know, spaces would you go after? And we also started to realize, oh, we should be bringing them the, the genres, bringing them the IP, bringing them the arenas that we think could be unlocked. And that's been an unbelievably exciting moment for our company, our creative teams, and the writer, directors, and actors we work with as we've slowly begun to get traction and can't wait to un you know, unveil and launch this this great slate we've put together, born of this moment and in this this time. Um, I mean, it's 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 incredible, isn't it? That that sort of it's it's so strong right now, isn't it? The world sort of knows that now. It, it, it is predicted the Latin market is predicted to be the strongest growth uh, market in the world, along with APAC uh, over, over the coming years. Um, Perhaps we talk about the slate specifically and identify why you picked those shows because I think the sort of the anatomy of what you're making does tell us a lot about what you think the market requires. Well, you know, working with Santiago Limon, who worked on us with us on Rebelde for for Netflix, we recognized that we were in business with a extraordinary kind of singular uh, voice and talent, um, Mexican, and approached him about um, watching a couple of movies that had been done in English. And there was one movie I always loved called Attack the Block, uh, which was an English comedy about um, basically aliens attacking a British ghetto. And I said, there's so much kind of mythology within, within Mexico there's got to be an opportunity to think about what would it be like if, if an unsuspecting group of, of heroes was basically called into action in an environment that almost felt extraterrestrial. And, uh, and Santiago created um, an amazing show uh, in connected to the kind of mummies vernacular. It is so uh, brilliant and funny and, um, and you know, genre pushing because he's looking at genres that have been tried and true within the America for years, but he's approaching it with a very specific Mexican sensibility. And we are launching that on VIX and, uh, you know, throughout that partnership and really excited about that, excited about who Santiago is, excited about elevating the genre. We're looking at um, like Harry Potter and young adult, and we have a book 
that we've acquired and brought in a brilliant writer and have set up at a platform, but we're not allowed to talk about it. Um, but within that, that was another area of target sexuality, women's sexuality, and the kind of maturation of the modern Latin, you know, um, Latin single. And where can you look at that? And where do you see that when it's been so much in the world of the kind of the Bible and conservative value? How do we kind of unlock that, that there is a new generation of, of people taking control of their lives and how they live? And, and, and so we are developing something within that world with a brilliant uh, writer as well. Sport has always been, you know, massively over-indexing and successful within Latin culture and, you know, is one of the reasons we approached boxing with Duran and so we're doing something in football and uh, very excited about that and having the awareness through friends and, and partners as well at Telemundo how incredible uh, the World Cup did in, you know, in Spanish for Peacock and, and see real opportunity in that and have a brilliant, talented uh, writer as well that we nurtured and, and curated and worked with within the, that world and elevated, you know, at, at, at the top. Um, and so there's, there's these genres and spaces that we're going after that are not within the narco, not within the Bible, not within um, the uh, living room and are kind of opening up the storytelling. Also, you know, younger people um, and how we, we work with them. We're doing something with um, Tiny and Lex for, um, and Raul Alejandro for uh, Netflix that in the music space that ha is very ambitious as well. So there's a number of these uh, kind of genres that may have worked in Hollywood that hadn't yet been tried either due to budget constraint or to creative filter coming from somebody who had just had, you know, consistent success with the same kind of genre and didn't really want to necessarily expand or try. So doing a lot of that. And then also we're sourcing um, IP from uh, different places and having them adapted instead of taking a great book and saying, let's just adapt it and set it in Chicago, we're adapting and setting it in Mexico City. And so there's a lot of that going on. Like we're looking at formats from other markets that could then play in an elevated way with a um, specific Latin take and approach. And then the last piece is we're also just seeing, you know, the world blend in language in, in certain places and how and with which, you know, elements of language should we be looking at that and so doing some stuff that's maybe a little more bilingual than we ever did before as well which was not we were either doing spanish for one place or english for another um now we're starting to say you know it's okay to show some subtitles or to do some dubbing or do some shifting around different characters who speak different languages here's the second part of their conversation scripted has been very dominant hasn't it for several years now since the arrival of the streamers and the ability to amortize it globally across a, a number of years and unscripted suffered for a little while but it feels like it's on the way back what, what's your view on, on that i think on the broader marketplace there is no question that uh you cannot sustain 10 million dollar hours of television across your entire slate of content and uh, the audience is is watching stuff 
uh, regardless of genre and is engaging with stuff regardless of genre. And in the same way that uh, the global streamers may have introduced uh, different markets to different languages, they're also opening up genres. And we've watched as, uh, you know, and, and the, some of these stats are, are out there, but they've been told to me. And uh, is that, you know, like when Netflix launched, 10% of their, you know, or not launched, but when, in early phases, like 10% of their 40 million viewers had watched a documentary. Now, 80% of their 250 million viewers have watched a documentary. I assume we should be making more documentaries, you know, and you look at, uh, as well, the mix on traditional kind of broadcast linear television, it has always been dominated in its top 10 by alternative shows, by Dancing with the Stars, by The Biggest Loser, by American Idol. And um, those genres are going to work again in a different way on the streamers. And I was reading an interview with Ted Sarandos where he said, you know, and now as we start to think about introducing live, we can do shows that show the result within them and suddenly those kind of competition reality shows which people on streaming were just going to the last ep they would watch the first episode and then skip to the last episode to see who won because it was all there on binge they're now going to be programmed in that way and they become a great part of that mix because they deliver huge audience and uh do it at a much lower price point and then you see it within the docuseries within the documentary so i think the balance is going to shift back to a more diverse mix. And I also think soap operas and um, comedies and all of the genres that don't require, you know, um, CGI and massive post and huge long uh, lead times and cross-boarding and all of these things, um, trying to even keep those pricing down in that $10 million range, there's, they're going to be open for business for more than they have been. And the other thing that streaming did early was it really just chased stars, right? It, it went after who is the biggest star on the planet. Let me use the algorithm backwards. Oh, other things have worked with the biggest star on the planet. I want the biggest star on the planet. And right, and that seems like a playbook for uh, a couple of the streamers uh, that you see. And the birth of many of those streamers is so star dependent when in fact this box in your living room albeit it's becoming the size of of that box in your in your screening room is still an intimate environment when you're in your house within your family and it one of the greatest vehicles for creating stars so hopefully there's going to be um that return to kind of betting on talent it's also going to greatly reduce your price point if one person isn't making a third of the budget you're going to be able to do more and experiment more. And I think that's another reason that these kid shows do so well and these foreign language shows in different markets do so well is because I never saw the Stranger Things kids before they arrived in my living room. And I never saw the cast of Squid Games before it arrived in my living room. And I think that should give confidence as well to buyers to take risk on new performers and new actors and um, and new talent. And so all of that is going to kind of happen again because it has to happen. If you want to keep making original programming, which you have to do, if you want to keep people subscribing and, re and be become new subscribers, 
Um, but it's just too hard to do at the price point. And the last thing on that whole circle of, of, of stuff is also the advertisers like the genre mix and the advertisers love live and the advertisers love alternative programming because their real life products live in a real life way within them. And so there's going to be stuff that happens driven by this new player entering the streaming world, which is, which is the advertiser who's been obviously the main fixture of linear and broadcasting. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, streamers become bro- become broadcasters. Yeah, it's all this them? whole circle, yeah. and sports become the driver. I mean, it's literally yeah. the. And it's going back to like it's going back. 50 it, years, and, and, <laughs> and I think they they just want to be all of the broadcasters and all of the cable companies in one stop, right? Like yeah. if you ask, they like they want to be food the Food Network, HGTV, NBC, and HBO. You know, and so it'll be very interesting as that continues to play out. Very much so. Um, I wonder if there's a question from anybody in the room. If you do have a question for Ben, if you raise your hand, you could get a microphone to you and ask it. Uh, hello, Ben. I'm Francisco Sivalso with Estrategico TV. Um, the question is, obviously you're established, but how do you begin a relationship with a company like Netflix? And how do you pitch and what do you expect in terms of the business model from a company like Netflix or Amazon? Um I don't expect much from the business model. They're monopolists and oligopolists, and we should find a way to regulate them out of their, you know, squashing uh, the growth of, of opportunity and independent wealth creation that has been the basis of, you know, of the good parts of our, our system. So that part I don't expect much, unless I have leverage, and then you get to be a jerk back. And that's just not how enduring business models should work and long-term you know, uh, dynamic should work if you want to create a a real, um, you know, culture of content and if you want to create an ecosystem of content, not just, you know, a, a top-headed uh, version of it. On the other side, they, they are open for business. So they are available to be brought projects to, they want projects, and they are looking for projects and they are very well organized in their various divisions so that depending on what piece of content you have, you can access the right group around it. They have people who specialize in documentaries, they have people who specialize in territories, they have people who specialize across genre and they're pretty public about how you can access them across those touch points and and get in to the door there. Um, typically within the US, because we have so much legal, uh, legal constraint and so much liability constraint, you just have to go through that process of either signing a release that gives away, you know, um, you know, any ability um, to have risk to them of you having pitched the idea and or some form of a legal representative that they're comfortable engaging with at scale so they know that um, they, they're going to be protected in the process because there are many people with one single idea who think they're the only person who ever had that idea. In a world of 7 billion people, there is no such thing as a singular idea. Um, and so that, that's, that's why they're guarded and protect themselves because they have had a lot of you know, people who think that something that's been on the air for 30 years 
was created in the shower two days ago. You know, so they, they have to protect themselves in that way. And then on the other side, on the deal side, uh, you're in trouble. You know, you're not going to get, they're just not, unless there's an unbelievable amount of leverage uh, around what you're bringing them, uh, they they are really following very rigorous deal models. So there's not as much room as there used to be in the deal making with um, the new players, and they need their content forever. So they are going to want to own it forever, and they need their content globally. So they're going to want to own it everywhere. And those two things are going to be very difficult for uh, suppliers to you know work out the economics long term if they have long term hits and they also to me don't seem to be doing long series orders meaning long season orders you know so you know it'll be interesting to see if any uh scripted content gets to 10 seasons on a streamer it'll be interesting to see if the episode orders expand they all feel to be reducing to me if like at first it was 13 episodes and then it went to 12 and then it went to 10 now they're around 8 to 10 um you know and the broadcast system which was dependent on fresh eyeballs for fresh advertising they were you know anywhere from 22 to 25 in america and uh and they would go as long as the audience was watching and the talent deals were in place so you know there, there's you have to look at volume and you have to look at other ways to be entrepreneurial in the media space the streamers have had a very strong grip on the market, but just the emergence of so many fast channels and sort of the resurgence of co-production almost, that you know, the old school models are coming back. And so, so I suppose just looking down the next 18 months, because clearly pendulums swing, how do you see the next 18 months going and are, the, are, are they going to be displaced by a, second, a new wave of something? Well, it's, you know, we were with um, friends from uh, the CW where we had produced Jane the Virgin years ago, and they, they had a model of, of two owners in Warner Brothers and CBS, and 98% of that content that aired on that platform had to come from Warner Brothers or CBS, and they would in turn own the content, and the CW would exhibit the content and collect the ad revenue, and then, and then... Uh, that's how their model work. Now, suddenly, they have a new buyer and a new owner, and they're going to have a new model, and it's going to be an interesting place to do business because of those co-productions. And the AVOD platforms are going to want more original content, and they're going to have a different business model. And then the transactional platforms where you can actually click and buy, like what's going on with Roku and their partnership with Walmart, is going to unlock another model. So I think it was a more specific answer to the 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 current top tier of this of this the current oligopoly but the work that has to get, go into doing a co-production where your lead partner is only going to pay a third of a budget or the work that has to go into an advertising relationship that requires an amazing amount of handhelding and education is 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 a lot of work you know so i think the more of that work you do and the better organization you build with leading executives and the greater barrier of entry you create for your competition by out hustling them on how you do a co-prod or by out hustling them on how you can develop advertising relationships or you can out hustle them because you know that that certain actor is also famous in germany israel and taiwan is going to open up opportunities on that co-production model and i'm very hopeful about it because that's where uh, 
you know, long running um, financial return can happen as well. And so it's it's hopeful and exciting. I just don't see it happening at scale. Like everyone thought that would happen when Fox uh, sold off 20th um, or, you know, uncoupled from 20th. And, and it hasn't quite opened because they realize, oh, gosh, it's hard to pay for this stuff. It's hard to finance this stuff. And so a lot of the series comes still with those those bigger partners as suppliers. So you're an independent company in this market and, and there's lots of bigger studios that are often aligned with their own outlets and SVODs and AVODs and broadcast and whatever else they're doing that month. What's the challenge for an independent company? How do you, how do you plan to defend as well as attack? What, what, what do you do differently? Well, I think we look, look at the margins, right? Like if we used to look at the margins of $5 billion companies, uh, you know, we could make pennies. As we look at the margins of $50 companies, $50 billion companies, we can make dollars. As we look at the margins of trillion dollar companies, maybe we can create enough volume to make millions of dollars. And so I think where we're focused is how do we go into the areas that we know they need before they need them? How do we deliver on the talent and the ideas that we know we can generate or access that maybe they can't internally? And how do we play in the in the spaces that they're not vertically integrating and and doing on their own? And so that is that is an everyday conversation at our company. And I think having the no legacy of independence also means you can continually innovate and iterate and try the new. I think we've focused a huge amount on foreign language programming and specifically the Americas and Spanish language and, and Latin content. We focus specifically on building out arguably the most important documentary platform in the world. We have our own international distribution organization run by Catalina um, Ramirez and Dan Tunnel, and that allows us two-way street and ways to project what the value is of something that we may deficit finance or want to retain rights to be a co-producer. So it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of relationships, and a lot of risk-taking around where are you betting on areas that you know they'll need but may exist in their margins. And, and that's been kind of our role as an independent. And then the other thing is how we align with talent. And so we've really focused on and spent a lot of energy uh, building out our talent relationships as long-term partnerships. And we've continually worked with people like Will Arnett and you know Jason Bateman and now Santiago Limon and Gina Rodriguez. And you know having those relationships really also uh, serves us. They feel protected by us as they enter these huge companies and um, have watched us you know help them grow their careers. And so that's been another area of, of what we have to do. Uh, you, to remain relevant, you've, you've you've been very progressive throughout your career, and um, I, I often wonder what other companies or shows out there you look you look up to. Who else out there do you think is the, is setting the pace as well? I mean, I think that there are some great entrepreneurs in in the content space and in in media entertainment space. I'm fascinated and love what everyone's doing in building brands, you know, whether it's Ryan Reynolds or The Rock or George Clooney. It's an area that 
we spend a lot of time thinking about because the office is a brand, Ugly Betty is a brand, The Biggest Loser is a brand, and it's an area that we have have ability, and it's an area that our talent relationships are strong, and we live in this insane era of direct-to-consumer relationship and social uh, media, you know, created transactions that I think all of our skill sets actually translate to and is very exciting um, to us on a kind of progressive level. Um, so that that's, that's kind of one of the things that we're looking at and thinking about and we see in our peers doing very successfully in creating those brands that are three-dimensional and exist. Um, on the content side, you know, innovation, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know what I could point to specifically, but, you know, even doing like a Yellowstone was a kind of zig, right? Let, let's go to the heartland while everyone's going to the coast. And, you know, that's really delivered. And uh, as a viewer, I like it. And obviously, it's become a massively important um, franchise for Viacom and an example of somebody. And that came from independence. That came from independence because no one wanted to go to the heartland. <laughs> They're programmed by the coasts, and it took a you know Texas Montana based creator producer Taylor Sheridan to like kind of to to go after it. I love slow horses so much, but that's just because it's just so damn good. But I don't. There's nothing like didn't like break a mold to me. It's, it's what's old is new. It's of the grand, you know, Graham green style, but I, I just love that show. And I think there's, there's a lot of innovation going on and a lot of content that, um, can draw you in now that you was never available to you before. Cool. My last question, a year from now, what, what do you hope to have achieved? What, 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 what are the big goals? How will your business be different? And is there anything in the way of, of getting there, not just for you, but perhaps for the business as a whole, what barriers need to be removed for further growth and success, do you think? Well, you know, it's amazing how much the macroeconomic trends or um, interest rate shifts or inflationary pressures are now entering our business because of how um, public market stock-driven the companies we sell to are uh, dependent. And that's a little bit of a new thing because the entertainment industry used to be kind of immune from that. And there were a lot more privately held enterprises or publicly as in government owned entities. And they were able to weather those storms a little more. But when Netflix share price goes from 400 to 200 in you know three weeks they have to address it in a way that reduces budget so that, so i am amazed to say like the a russian missile going into poland because a leopard tank is going across um across the border could have more of an impact on our next financial year than whether our show gets nominated for uh, an oscar or not and that's like it's kind of new and 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 challenging, especially for an independent, because we're not allowed to blame anyone for that, and so that <laughs> that that's tricky. Um, yeah, so stuff like that. But I, the overall trajectory of where content investing needs to remain and grow to is is not stopping, and it is going to continue because it is that these companies are now built, 
they're not going to shut their lights. They have to keep investing and keep growing to connect to their audiences. Great. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. Good luck, ladies and gentlemen. Ben Silver. Thank you so much, David. Pierre-Luigi Gazzolo was last month promoted to chief executive of VIX, the Televisa Univision-owned Spanish-language streamer which celebrates its first anniversary shortly following that of the mega-merger which created its parent company. Gazzolo was among the keynote interviews at C21's inaugural Content Americas event and spoke to North American editor Jordan Pinto there about his content strategy for VIX. The exec spelled out his mission to release 70 new original titles per year with unscripted and sports a major focus alongside global partnerships across the Spanish-speaking world and the distribution of rights across key overseas markets. I am joined by Pierre-Luigi Gazzolo, who is the CEO of VIX. Um, Pierre was, until very recently, Tele Televisa Univision's president and chief transformation officer, but he's just been promoted to CEO of VIX um, as the company kind of shifts and realigns and puts all of its focus um, behind its streaming business. Um, and in this keynote interview, Pierre, um, we will talk a bit about um, Televisa Univision's integration um, following the completion of the mega merger last year, um, your vision for VIX Plus, what the programming strategy looks like, um, and a bit about the future of Spanish language content. So guys, if you could give a big warm hand to Pierre Luigi. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. So happy we're back in Miami again in January. So thank you for being here. Um, wonderful. Okay, Pierre, let's let's dive right in. Um, I think it's really easy to forget that it's still been less than one year since um, since the completion of the merger between Televisa Univision, um, Televisa and Univision, I should say. Um, because basically so much has happened in, in that year. Um, let's talk a bit first about the, the integration of those two companies. Um, obviously, combining two such big companies is an extremely challenging task. Um, tell, us, tell us about it. How has the last year been? It's been uh, an incredible year. I, I want to go a little bit before that because it relates uh, to the merge. And it's, it's the actual, the beginning of the transformation uh, when For Searchlight and Forgelight uh, acquired a percentage of Univision, Univision, the majority of Univision. Wade Davis was the founder, uh, is the founder of Forgelight, and he's now the CEO of Television Univision. He called me and he said, you know, come with us, come work with us. We want to transform Univision and become the largest Spanish language media company in the world. I jumped into the opportunity, and the reason why I jumped into the opportunity was because the transformation was kind of a low-hanging fruit. It was so obvious. Uh, what transformation could occur, could occur coming out of Univision. You had a number one network, the number one Hispanic network um, in, the U, in the US with more than 65% share of viewing. So they really had a grasp of the Hispanic audience, but yet they had not really set themselves up to transform uh, for the future. And that's when we came in and, and, and it's been an incredible adventure since. Um, you know, Wade hired a completely new uh, senior management team that had more of an eye for the future of growth. Um, we moved to the regular advertising sales to advanced advertising sales, targeting clients, which before wasn't happening. 
Univision did not have a data infrastructure, believe it or not. Um, the household, the U.S. Hispanic household graph that we did is now the largest uh, household graph for Hispanics in the U.S., representing about 85% of the of the Hispanics. And then finally came the 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 purpose of us doing this, including the merge, which was the planning of the streaming, with the goal to become the largest streamer uh, in Spanish language uh, with scale in the world, which we couldn't have not done if not with the historic merge with Televisa. Obviously, you want to be global. Televisa is the largest producer of Spanish language by far, um, and not just uh, Spanish language. I think I think they're the largest owners of a gigantic library of hits. Uh, so we so this was the way to do it. Uh, and that's where Televisa and Univision was born. Uh, the thesis was there's 450 million approximately, 450 million people in the world that speak Spanish. It's the second largest spoken language after Mandarin. Not all of them are connected to streaming, but just think about it, 450 million people in the world that speak Spanish, and yet they're underserved from a streaming perspective. All other global streamers have Spanish content, but nobody has it at scale. So that's what got us excited. And that was one of the drivers of the, of the merge that now we call Televisa Univision. Fantastic. And and as we discussed in the back, uh, after Viacom CBS, you thought you were going to get a bit of a break, but you were straight, <laughs> straight back in, straight back in with Televisa Univision. Yes. Um, okay, that, that brings us nicely on to VIX, which yep. is an immensely exciting proposition for the Spanish language marketplace. Um, it's been six months now since VIX Plus, roughly six months since VIX Plus launched in the market. Um, there was a hard launch uh, hard launch in uh, uh, America or in the U.S. and Mexico, yes. and a soft launch in uh, in Latin America, and then the so yeah, that's VIX Plus, and then VIX, the, the AVOD service product. had launched a few months before that. Yeah, um, yeah. To talk to us a bit about I, I think Wade Davis had said um, you guys saw um, Spanish the uh, Spanish language streaming service as the the last lane, the last open it lane. It is the last open lane. In we streaming. still see it. Yeah, mm -hmm. we still see it. Yeah. This is an enormous service, and it has been a huge undertaking. Um, you know, wh where to begin? Where to begin? I'm exhausted. I gained like a hundred pounds. I'm losing my hair. I'm drinking more tequila than ever, as Maria knows. Last night, um, uh, but it's been an incredible adventure. Um, you know, the service has exceeded our expectations. Frankly, uh, it's exceeded what we thought we were going to have by now, being so early in the launch. Um, you know, we in 10 months, we build our own tech stack. Like in 10 months, right? We build our own tech stack. We created a product that has two experiences in the same app, a free experience with advertising supported. Now everyone wants to get into advertising. We already launched with advertising and it's been an incredible feat uh, and, and growth that we've seen on the free experience, which launched first in April. We already have a gigantic footprint in US and Mexico, and one that is growing in the rest of LATAM. Just to give you an idea for the World Cup, we hosted the World Cup in Mexico. We were the digital exclusive destination VIX, AVA, the, the free service for the World Cup. And we got 20 million users that used it, and 100 million uh, live video views. So we already scaled it up very, very quickly. Then came SVOD as well, and we, we kept our promise. Our promise for SVOD was more Spanish language, originally produced in Spanish, not dubbed content than anyone else. 
scale it as much as we can, relevant to everyone's culture, made for Spanish speakers by Spanish speakers, and we ended up with 60 originals up to date that have premiered uh, in the SVOD service, 40,000 hours in total of originally produced Spanish language. Um, sports, big offering of soccer behind the wall, amazing first look deals with amazing talent that believed in our thesis of the last uh, streaming lane, uh, including Maria Duenas, who as you know, was the creator of in uh, the time in between for Netflix, uh, the hit of Netflix. She has a first look deal with us. Eugenio Derbez has a first look deal with us. Salma Hayek signed a first look deal with us for her movie company, Ventana Rosa. So a lot of things happening in such a small period of time. And what, what excited me the most was that, you know, this was not, the company decided, the board and the company decided to invest incrementally in, in this product. What I feared before is I didn't want this to be your typical linear company that wants to reskin the product to be a streaming product. Everything you have on VIX and VIX Plus in content, even library, which is exclusive, is incremental to what we have in the network. That's the part that really makes me proud, that this is truly an incremental business because we don't have to replace losses in the network. The network is doing perfectly fine. Uh, and that makes the product even more interesting. The business model of the product is also working very, very, very well. Uh, you know, we, we in the two biggest, of the 450 million people that speak Spanish, the two largest markets, Mexico, because of the population, obviously, and the U.S. Hispanic because of GDP, we have an amazing promotional machine for VIX uh, with 65% share of viewing in both those markets. We have also the idea of launching with a free ad-supported tier helps us upsell to subscription. And remember, everyone is launching. We talk, we're gonna talk about that later. Everyone is launching, it's very competitive. So SACs are going up, but we have our own way of bringing our own people from our own funnel and managing our own churn. Um, on the content side, a lot of people here know I'm seeing a lot of uh, uh, partners that we work with. One of the beauties about working with us for VIX Originals or for VIX Plus Originals is that we do not have to retain global rights, right? Our goal is for Spanish speakers, by Spanish speakers. Spain still is not part of our, of our, of our world, so that still stands on its own. So we can share costs and we can share ownership of IP and do amazing things together. That's another part of the business model that we bet on, and it's actually, it's actually working. And as I said before, two revenue streams, you know, ad and subscription is what you need to accelerate, and we did it from the get-go. So, very excited. Long, uh, long, long answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was Just a great answer. Um, obviously, 60, I believe it's 60 projects in the in the first year was the plan. Um, VIX Plus and VIX launched at an interesting time for the streaming business because yep. many of the other streamers um, were kind of pulling back and recalibrating at the same time as you were launching full, full steam ahead into the market. Um, 60 shows in the, first, in the first year is obviously a very ambitious slate. Do you foresee doing the same number of shows in the following year, or or will you have a look to see how some of these shows land with the audiences before you decide about how the programming slate looks going forward? Yeah. So it's actually seventy show, seventy titles. In it the is. First I thought year. it was seventy, but then no, no, no. We have we by today, by I think by next week, we would have already completed sixty. 
So we're almost uh, completing. It's actually, you know, we we even though the the world is getting more competitive and people do need to take care of their cost, even though the bottom line of profitability is what what the market is looking at, the analysts. We need to keep on growing. We, this is a baby. It was just born, you know, particularly VIX Plus. It was just born five and a half months ago, right? So we need to feed it. Um, and I think uh, we're going to have to continue with the volume. Um, uh, we just have to do it cost effectively and intelligently. Uh, we can do that. As I said before, we do share IP. We don't have to be in the rest of the world. So that's one way of doing it. We have our own infrastructure. Um, at the market, the Latin American market, unlike others, is very cost effective. The ratio of cost to quality is unbelievable. I mean, you see some of the top ranks in the world of Spanish language content. They are Hollywood quality, but not Hollywood cost. So I think that allows us to also, to also continue in a trajectory of volume. However, we are learning, as you said, and I think as we learn, we're going to be more selective as to what our audience wants. But also, and importantly, I do ask everyone, including my team, as they know, that we still have to find more ways of efficiencies on, on a cost per title basis. Um, I think there are so many ways to do it. There are countries that have amazing tax incentives, like Spain, Colombia, uh, others to come. And we, we have to be smart about that and take advantage of that. I think, you know, the, I don't know how to say this, so it doesn't sound bad, but I think having a Spanish language series that has in dollars more than seven digits per episode is not sustainable, right? And I think the beauty of our market is that we have incredible writers that to me starts with the story. And we have unbelievable storytellers, a lot of which are here in the room. And we also have producers that know exactly how to take these stories into screen with high quality. A lot of them which are here in the room as well that I'm, I've been talking to. And as long as we continue with that, we will be able to do, to do much, much more on volume. Uh, as I said, it starts with the story. As I said, uh, the market is not, is not as expensive as the rest of the world. And we do share costs. So Pierre, theoretically, can VIX Plus can you co-commission a project with any of the global streamers as long as you retain? Yes, Spanish, we're, Spanish we're open to rights. partnerships even with other streamers as long as they're open um, to breaking other markets. Not all these streamers uh, are willing to do that yet. Uh, I don't know if they will in the future, but some of them are. So yes. Um, so, something we spoke about on on the pre-call was um, the the I'm going to say this. My pronunciation is horrible. Uh, uh, the Seriela. Seriela. Um, I hate that word, by the way, but it's becoming a reality. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe there's a, a challenge for the audience to come up with a better, uh, yeah. a better name for the city, yeah. Um I think that that's something on the programming side. That's one of the focuses for for Vix. And yeah, it does. It's just it does well, and I don't think just for Vix. There's other shows uh, in other platforms that are kind of serielas, and by the, by the definition, how we're trying to define this genre is. It's an, it has the melodrama of a novella. Always at the center, there's melodrama. But it has something on top of it, right? Either a thriller, uh, La Mujer del Diablo, which you saw earlier, we consider as Ariela, right? It has the melodrama of the two characters, but she's kidnapped, 
right? So that's, that's how we define it, shorter episodes uh, with various seasons. Uh, you have Serielas, serie, by the way, if you haven't guessed it, Seriela, Serie Novela, for those that, uh, you have Serielas that are closer to a novela, you have Serielas that are closer to a, to a, a premium series, but nonetheless, that space, it's really one of the, one of the places that are becoming big globally. Um, if you see the rankers of the shows, I'm not going to mention all of them because they're my competitors, but our competitors have serielas in the top ranks globally. And I think we need to take advantage of that genre and take it to the next level. Um, thinking a bit about the streaming landscape, um, which is obviously ex extremely, extremely competitive, um, what do you see as some of the, the key battlegrounds um, for subscriber acquisition um, and which markets do you see as, as those key areas? Well, I mean, it, it's getting competitive. Um, LATAM just started not so not so long ago compared to the U.S., but it is starting to get saturated. Um, we're betting first and foremost on our unique proposition. Um, we we are we want to be part of the share of wallet of every Spanish speaker's household because we're giving them something that that is unique to them, which is. A, gigantic amount of hours originally produced for them. And we've done the research. Spanish speakers want more Spanish language quality content. And that is to us the first entry point in our cloud market. It's our unique proposition. Um, we, as I said before, we have, you know, the part of the problem that you're seeing now is that SACs, the, the cost of acquiring subscribers is getting more expensive because more people are going to the market. We have our funnel of Avod, as I said before, our, our free VIX advertising support service is huge now. And that's our funnel to take people up. Obviously, we acquire subscribers outside of there, but that also helps us competitively uh, to enter and survive the market. Price, obviously, is a big, uh, a big, a big thing when it comes to competing. I think we've launched with competitive prices. We're always going to be looking constantly at prices. We're about $6.99 in the US and about five bucks in Mexico and the rest of Latam. Sports, you got to have them now. Um, that's an expense that is a must if you want to enter this market as we did so late. Uh, we have Liga Mexico, exclusive teams, exclusive games. We have UEFA champions, UEFA nations. So that's important as you want to acquire subscribers. And another thing that, you know, we always had in the plan is you need partners. You need very good distribution partners. Um, we have an amazing partnership with Prime Video Channels. Uh, we work together almost as if we were one team. We're very excited with the growth that we're seeing there. We have partnerships with Atelco, T-Mobile. We have partnerships with big MVPDs like Easy and Tigo in Central America. So partnerships is another way to survive this very competitive market. But also, I want to remind ourselves that Latin America is still a growth. It's still nascent. Uh, I know it sounds hard to believe, but think about it. Streaming is growing faster than pay TV. Okay? And if you look, and I think it's Omnia that published the source, the source that published the stat, but there's about 2.3 subscriptions per household in Mexico, for example compared to the US, which has like 4.2. So there's there's space to grow still. There's still a lot of people that don't subscribe to streaming. And those are the ones 
that we're going after, uh, that we actually are our audience as well uh, in those markets, uh, and that we think present an opportunity for growth. But yes, it is getting it is getting competitive. The the shows that we've seen so far, a lot of it has been in the scripted space. Um, Will we also be seeing, or well, I know you are um, commissioning unscripted projects as well. Um, as you go ahead, will, will that become a larger part of the focus? Or Yeah, no, we, we are looking. Um, we, we have focused on unscripted because we had to. We had to launch with big original scripted series where we are lacking in terms of volume. And I think we're going to talk to a lot of people here. Uh, is non-scripted. So docu-series, uh, realities, lifestyle. Um, we, we want to go after those uh, to complete uh, our offering. We do have some, but not enough. Um, I think a lot of people attending the market are um, distributors and people with um, people from different territories that have shows that they're looking to sell in, into the Latin American market. Um, does VIX Plus acquire shows, or are you pro are you solely you know an original? We do we do both. We do both. We try to focus the majority of our budget to what we call original. So either cost plus we own it, and we a partner comes in, brings us the idea, we pay the cost plus a margin, or we do it ourselves internally. But we also acquire, we love pre-buys. Um, you know, that's what helps us get the way to the 60 uh, titles. We wouldn't have been able to do it. So if somebody has a project that is about to get produced, we sometimes get in and invest in that project to own the IP in our regions. That's it. Good to, good to know for yeah. producers in the room. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit about the health of the Spanish-speaking market yeah. at the moment. Obviously, you have you have been in the industry for uh, three decades, or just just yeah. over three decades. Um, you've seen a lot of the you know the, the ups and downs and the, yeah. and the you know the swings of the industry. How do you assess the, the health of the Spanish-speaking and the Spanish language market um, today? Yeah, I'll say it again. There's 450 million people that speak Spanish in the globe. As I said, they're all not connected, but they will get connected. And these people want more Spanish language than ever before. So I think that speaks by itself, right? The opportunity is there. Uh, also, I have to say how proud we all are to see how Latin America and Spain has been able to deliver global hits in Spanish. I want to remind us that it was a long time ago where that would have never happened. And I think the world now knows that there's incredible talent developers, producers that in Spanish speaking language that will continue delivering hits. And I, I honestly, I have to say, and not because I work in a Spanish language company, that I see the Spanish language content taking over and continue growing uh, in the world. People are loving it from all parts of the world. Um, is there a message that you have for producers? Um, you know, Vix Plus, I, I know we've talked a lot about it, and, and everyone knows about it, but it's still a very new service. Um, what, what's, the me what's the memo to producers who would either like to work with you or would like to understand more about your commissioning priorities? Keep on bringing us uh, awesome ideas. Um, remember, we are Spanish first and Spanish language only. Uh, we are culture culturally relevant. Uh, if the story happens in Mexico, it happens in Mexico. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't produce it in Colombia, but the story itself has to be culturally relevant. And as I said before, uh, we are we are moving also to start experimenting much more than we have had have done in the past with um, with uh, non-scripted. 
Mexico and U.S. Hispanic are very important to us. Uh, we are looking to expand now a little bit more aggressively into Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador, and eventually to the Southern Cone, but Mexico continues being a very, very big part of our business, and I think will continue uh, for a while, but excited to work with everyone, and let's see what, what you've got and how we can continue our partnerships. Um, Pierre, I think we're going to wrap things up here, but I'd just like to give you yeah. give the last word back to you. Um, yeah, what, what's the what's the what's the final uh, the final thing you'd like to say, and the the last thing you, that you would like to kind of impress upon the audience about Vix Plus and the future? I'm just very excited to be to have all of you here in Miami again. Um, you know, when we heard that Nappy was was getting out, I was very worried because I think these are the moments where you really appreciate the incredible talent. That exists, that exists in Spanish language content. And these are the places where we create and we play and we talk. And, and I'm so excited to do that with you. And I ask that you continue delivering this beautiful, qual high quality Spanish language content to the world so that the world starts seeing that we're going to take them over. This is going to be our future for all of us. So very happy to be here. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Uh, around. A warm round of applause for Pierre. Pierre-Luigi Gazzolo, speaking with Jordan Pinto. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.